the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. to the Wednesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, questions about church, whatever is on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com and if you are driving in your car I like to remind you every day the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app Uh, hit the call now banner at the top of the screen you'll be connected directly to our studio producer I don't think we have anything to talk about other than oh I know tonight Tonight, I, I'm trying to maybe selectively forget this, but our Bible study tonight here at Calvary Chapel is uh, Leviticus chapters 15 and as much as 16 as I can get. Um, believe me, it's not interesting or exciting, but it's the Word of God and it never returns void. So uh, if you are interested, you can watch it at calvarysa.com live at 7 o'clock. Uh, we always have room on Wednesday night, so please uh, feel free to come and join us. You would enjoy the company, I am sure. Uh, Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the Day edition of the program, so get ready for that. And then on Friday, I have a special guest, Pastor Juan Ortiz, who is our Joy of Jesus pastor, and we're getting ready for Joy of Jesus coming up this Saturday at Travis Park from 11 o'clock in the morning until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's going to be warm, so dress appropriately and um, and just come and see what the Lord is going to do. It's always a wonderful, wonderful opportunity and uh, our church is really excited about that. So we will see you down there and Pastor Juan, who heads up the whole Joy of Jesus ministry, uh, he'll be here on Friday to talk about it. Let's go to Cindy on line one right away. Cindy, thanks for calling early. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I I wondered if you could uh, give a clarification of what are the original boundaries of land that God gave Israel, or gave Abraham for Israel, and how it's come about that they just have this little sliver now. <laughs> I, why they're occupied with somebody that doesn't even belong there when it's their land. So if you, if you could un- untangle this whole mess, I don't think they're teaching this in the public schools or at the colleges, so maybe we could learn a little on this, and I'll get off the phone and listen on the radio. Thank, thank you. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. You know, a couple of things to comment on. Um, you know, the, uh, Israel, as Cindy pointed out, has never occupied anywhere close to the land that God gave them. Now, I am not looking at the boundaries, uh, the original boundaries of the of the covenant 
Um, I don't have access to that on my screen, but it was a huge, huge amount of land and, and, and really would now encroach into many of, if not most of the Arab neighbors around them. So they've never even come close to that kind of, of land. One of the things that, that is amazing to me, Cindy, is that, uh, you mentioned they're sharing that little sliver of land, um, you know, I always found it funny that uh, the only piece of land in the entire Middle East that isn't just rich in oil is, of course, Israel. And so that's what God has given them. But um, uh, under King David, they they uh, occupied more of it than at any other time in history. And even today, we've got people who are trying to give away the land that God gave to Israel. Now, here's the thing that we have to understand as believers. It's not Israel's land. It's not Arab land. That land belongs to God. The whole earth is the Lord's. He's the one who gave that land to Israel. Now, the fact that they didn't have enough faith to inhabit it all, that's an issue that we are familiar with. Many of us, we don't have the faith to inhabit all of the the, the promises that God has given to us. Uh, but, um, you know, with with the entire world, and by the way, it's going to get more intense, the pressure is, um, you know, there, there's there's always been uh, politicians who are trying to come up with the two-state solution. That will never happen because that land does not belong to the Palestinians. The history of, of Palestine, you know, before 1948, any Jew who was born uh, in Israel, their birth certificate said that they were their race was Palestinian. That's just what it was called. It was called Palestine. But when Israel came back into the land, Remember, it's a land that God gave them. It's a land that God allowed them and miraculously permitted them to return to. And so now it's Israel. The birth certificates have changed. And yet we're still trying to negotiate away God's land. He's simply not going to let that happen. And every time there's been a negotiation to give up more land, um, Israel has tried for um, uh, decades, and, and, and uh, I mean since 1948, to make peace with their neighbors. Uh, and, and in so doing, they have negotiated away a bunch of the land that belongs to them and have has been recaptured via wars. You know, they've been, been invaded uh, on three different occasions. Uh, they won those wars. They won the territory. Then the world comes in and says, no, you got to give it back. Uh, They're surrounded by neighbors who hate them and have vowed to wipe them out. The Palestinian children are raised to uh, hate Jews from the earliest age, to kill Jews, and they will never be a settlement. They can never be peace um, because the Palestinians and many of the Arab nations around Israel will never, ever uh, acquiesce to Israel uh, and their right to be in the land that God has given them. So I, I think that's what we have to understand. But but the amount of land that God promised them is enormous, from the Mediterranean Sea uh, well into parts of Iran. The land would go to the western border of Iraq, all the way north to the Turkish and Syrian borders, and south to the Suez Canal, that's Egypt, And um, uh, obviously, they've never even come close to that. So if you take a picture, and you can do this on the Internet, you can say, give me a picture of the the promised land God promised Abraham. And and then you can can, um, um, superimpose what they now have. And you see, it's just kind of little tiny faith. They've never let God really do what God wanted to do. Cindy, thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question. This one is from Scott. This came in yesterday, late in the show. We didn't have time to get it. Um, So, Scott, I apologize that we didn't have the time yesterday. Uh, Pastor Ron, Proverbs 24, 21. Does that verse apply only when the king is righteous and obedient to the Lord? Um, One thinks of our current president. I don't ascribe to his leadership in many, many times. I want to rebel against his policies. Can you please comment? Let me read Proverbs 24, 21, and then I'll address Scott's uh, very familiar situation. Um, 
Solomon writes, my son, and this is a father teaching his son, fear the Lord and the king and do not associate with the rebellious. Um, you know, Scott, it, one of the hardest things, now we remember when uh, Paul and Peter uh, wrote that we're to submit to the governing authorities. That was Rome. That was Caesar Nero, a madman, certainly demon-possessed, uh, and and a brutalizer, a murderer of of Christians um, in in horrendous numbers. And yet, both Peter and Paul, uh, both who would die at the hands of Rome, by the way, at the hands of of Nero, um, both of them said, "Honor the king." Now. That's really hard. We have a president that is, despite his professed Catholic faith, is all in on the murder of the unborn babies. We have a president who is so infirmed that there's no possible way that he can be running this country. Um, I think it's very troubling that we have no idea who really is running this nation. It's certainly not uh, President Biden. Um, and yet God says we are to honor him. So how do we do that when, in your words, you said, I want to rebel against his policies? All you got to do is you got to die to your flesh. And you need to pray for the man, Scott. I think that's the one thing that God has given us uh, to guard our own hearts when we are so um, opposed to everything they stand for. Rather than get angry and get ugly and sin, um, God says, pray for them. And as we pray for them, God changes our heart. Uh, I actually want Joe Biden to get saved. I really do. Uh, I wanted Barack Obama to get saved. Uh, and, and in the flesh, that's, that's not something I really care about. But as you pray for these leaders, as, as evil and wicked as they are, um, God will give you his heart for them. He wants them saved too. Now, they've got to make the decision. But as Christians, it's our responsibility to honor them, to obey them as far as we can until and unless it contradicts or conflicts with what the Bible's told us. I know I use this a lot, but in the book of Acts, uh, Peter is thrown into jail. Um, they're released and they're ordered well, okay, we're, we're letting you out, but you cannot preach in this name anymore. And Peter looked at him. Now, Peter is the one who wrote that we're to submit to the governing authorities along with the Apostle Paul. And Peter said, well, you decide for yourself. Should we obey man or should we obey God? And then he said this, as for me, I cannot stop proclaiming this name. And they went right back out under the threat of, 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 of beating and imprisonment. They went right back out and began proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. So, Scott, here's what you do. You pray for him. You let God change your heart toward him. At the same time, you are free to, in fact, I think as a Christian, you're obligated to disagree with their policies. Um, but you can't stop. You're not ever free to be unloving or to be a rebel. That doesn't matter. So it's die to flesh, crucify the flesh every day. I had a good friend. I've said this before in the program, a pastor. It's a funny guy. He says, he said, you know, I get up every morning. I make my way over to the mirror, get as close as I can. And I yell, no. And the idea is you got to say no to you before you can say yes to Jesus Christ. So that's our responsibility. I think it takes a perspective having the right kingdom in heart and in mind, but that's exactly what we need to do. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question. This one comes from trying to get to the top of my page here. This one comes from Jason. He says, what is the best way to deal with anxiety? I know I'm not alone. Young people are filled with anxiety over our futures. Jason, you know, one of the things that Jesus said over and over and over, um, dozens and dozens of times, is be anxious for nothing. Do not worry. 
uh, things to that effect. And when he says those things, we kind of just sort of freak out. Well, how can I not be anxious? How can I not worry? And we worry. We are conditioned to worry. We're conditioned toward anxiety. And that, Jason, is um, sort of a measuring stick regarding our faith. As a Christian, your future is in his hands. Your future is the Lord's. And I try to tell people all the time, if you hang out with Jesus, if you follow him every day, he's going to walk with you through anything and everything, and you're going to walk right into your future. Now, here's our problem, Jason. God knows the future, but we don't. And what God wants us to do is trust him enough to know that wherever we are with him is exactly and only where we want to be. That's really important. Our problem is that we have hopes and we have dreams and and we can't figure out how we're going to get those hopes and those dreams fulfilled. And so we start stressing out. Jesus says, simply says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And believe me, anxiety is a heavy, heavy burden and causes us to, to stress out. He said, come to me and, and I will give you rest. And so the best way to deal with it is to get so close to Jesus, to stay in the word, to keep Jesus, his physical presence, uh, front and center in your heart and mind all day, every day. And you're going to find out that in his presence is the fullness of joy. It doesn't mean that you won't have moments where you worry. It doesn't mean that suddenly all those worries are going to go away or that the enemy is going to stop bringing those things up. But Jesus, in his presence, you'll find the ability to fight them. One of the hard things that I've dealt with with our young people who graduate from our school and they go out in the world and they're uh, frustrated and fretting over their future is, is, is try to convince them that the only future that matters is the one that God has drawn for them. Again, I realize we want to know what it is, but if we're honest, and this is a place for everybody listening to this program today can be really honest. If we're honest, we'll admit to the Lord that the only reason we want to know what he has for us in the future is because we want the freedom to say no to it if it isn't what we want. And as Christians, we get no vote. We have no opinion. There is no real choice. Now, we have the free will. We can choose to rebel against God, or we can choose to, to be obedient to the Lord. But if we choose to rebel against God, then we can't escape the consequences. And that, Jason, is exactly when your anxiety is going to boil over. So that's the only thing you can do. And as a Christian, uh, and, and uh, you, you know, you're... You, You're talking about young people. I assume that you're a young man. Um, This is an opportunity for you, a door of ministry, effective ministry for you. So you deal with your own worries, your own anxieties, and then you can minister to the, the friends that you have, the people that you encounter who are all stressed out and tensed up over the things going on in their lives, especially as it relates to their future. What a wonderful opportunity. You can say, look, I was just like you. Man, I was so stressed out over my future. And that's when I decided that Jesus knows exactly what my future is, and I'm going to trust him. You talk about a powerful witness because you're going to be ministering to an awful lot of people when you do that. So that's not just the best way. Jason, it is the only way. You've got to let go of all the things that matter to you. And you've got to say, as Jesus said, by the way, he's the one who gave us this model. Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done. It is okay, Jason, to make your request known to God. With, with a grateful heart, with thanksgiving, Paul says, make your request known to God. But when you make those requests... You got to be able to say with a pure heart, Lord, thy will, not my will be done. You know, Jason, there's so many things that I was just sharing with the church this Sunday, uh, this past Sunday, that in our 28 plus years here, nothing, not one single thing has gone the way I thought it would or the way that I'd hoped it would. 
not a single thing. And um, the reality is, looking back, is everything has turned out better than I could have ever dreamed they would. And when you give God a chance to prove that very thing to you, you're going to find that your anxiety and the stress just sort of melts away. It's one of those things where you've got to say, Lord, I'm going to lay all these cares at your feet. Lord loves you. He cares for you. Bring him your burdens. And then leave him there. Don't keep picking him up. And when, because our flesh is weak, we pick him back up and start worrying again, we got to say, oh, wait a minute, Lord. We already de- decided this. You're carrying my future in your hands, and I'm going to trust in you. So, Jason, I hope that is the case. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, Toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. Here is an anonymous question that was just called into the studio. How does God feel about Jewish people And does it upset God if you talk bad about Israel? Um, God is Jewish. Anonymous Jesus was a Jew. Jesus is God. So how does he feel about Jewish people? They are the apple of his eye. They're his special, chosen, called out people. Now, he didn't call them because they were special. They were special because... God called them. He chose them. And one of the problems with Israel and Jews is that um, uh, they forgot that. They, they, they twisted it around and started thinking, well, well, God called us because we're special. No, they were special because God chose them. And he loves them. And he's made wonderful promises. And he has been merciful, compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love. That's how he described himself to the Jewish people. And he was very patient with them for years and years and years. They rebelled against him. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet to warn them because it broke his heart that he would eventually have to judge them. And he judged them with the Assyrians. He judged them with the Babylonians, with the Medes and the Persians, with Greece, and ultimately with with Rome. And now I think the situation going on in Israel is is directly related to their rebellion against God. Jesus said they didn't recognize the time of his coming. And he wept over them. That's how he feels about them, Anonymous. So that's exactly how God feels. Now, let me ask you a question. You, you, I don't know whether you're married, man or woman, but, but if you're married and had children, how would it upset you if people spoke bad about your family? And one of the problems I have, Anonymous, with people that are you know, trashing the church, it's like saying, well, Jesus, I love you, but your wife is ugly. Yeah, it upsets God when we talk about Israel. And we're going to give account of that, by the way. There's going to be a judgment, the sheep and the goats, at the end, during the millennial reign. And that's going to be based on how those people treated God's people, Israel. And so, yeah, God is upset when people speak ill of him. You know, uh, one of the things, and this is getting maybe a little bit off the point of your question, But we have seen in this country, and I I keep saying it that way with that emphasis, uh, because to me it's absolutely stunning. It is an alarming thing to hear in this country, in this United States of America, our streets are filled with anti-Semites, haters of Israel, haters of Jews. We have a group of senators and congressmen that we have elected multiple times who hate Israel, who hate Jews. We have elected officials who are supporting the Palestinians who not only on October 7th attacked in the most barbarous of ways. I mean, I, I keep thinking about the, the prophets who would warn the, 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 those nations that God was using to judge Israel. 
and he would scold them, be angry with them because they enjoyed it a little too much. And God basically said, look, be careful, watch your heart, you're going to get yours. And God always kept those promises. The same thing is going to happen now. We need to look around. You know, one of the things that give me a little bit of hope uh, on college campuses where the Palestinian support uh, is 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 rampant. We now see billionaires who are removing their financial support. With one guy who took five billion dollars from Harvard University because of their support. We see professors who are getting paid good money, by the way, ranting and raving, applauding the acts of terror of the Palestinians. And we're still paying them. It makes no sense to me. So that's how God feels about Israel, and that's why he's upset when we speak ill of him. Remember, anti-Semitism is always satanic. Always, always, always. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday program, 340-9585. We will be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our wednesday show this is the word to stand on for life i'm pastor ron arbaugh 340-9585 or toll free 630-KSLR. Now, I don't have anybody in the phone, so bear with me for a moment. We, I will interrupt if we get some calls uh, now, but, but let, let me just give you just an overview of God's view of his people, Israel, and the people who mess with them. I told you that Israel is the apple of God's eyes. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8 says, he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. I think that's very personal with the God with the Lord. You see, when somebody messes with Israel, they're messing with God's kids. He sets his favor on Israel, and though she is far from perfect, she is not a, a, a godly or holy nation at this point, God alone reserves the right to discipline her. And he doesn't allow anyone else to attack her without consequences. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11 says, For I'm with you to save you, though I make a full end of all the nations where I've scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. And that was the prophecy to Jeremiah when um, God's prophecy was the, the utter destruction by the Babylonians of Israel. So um, even the nations that he uses to judge Israel are judged by him. Second, God has declared that Israel belongs to him. When he called Abraham, he made him this promise. Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Uh, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. No other nation in the history of the world has God so sovereignly chosen and created and made these kind of promises to. Israel alone belongs to God. Now, the United States is not a covenant nation. No other nation has ever been a covenant nation. Just Israel. And God has the right to give the land to whomever he chooses, and he chose to give it to them. I mentioned this um, uh, to the anonymous question. Third, our Lord himself is Jewish. You, you can't, um, you, there's no way to get around that. When you are an anti-Semite, you are anti-Jesus Christ, period. We need to know that. Um, four, God's gifts, um, and, and I, I would add calling, is irrevocable. Uh, Genesis 17, verse 8 says, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, 
all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So that means everybody who's ever claimed a right to the land of Canaan is wrong because the land has always belonged to Israel. Next, Israel's restoration is a source of our blessing. Romans eleven fifteen. For if they're being cast away as the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So Paul viewed the fall of Israel in rejecting Jesus as a forum for the Gentiles. And and we know in Romans 11, it also says there's a, a finite number of Gentiles, and then God's uh, going to turn once again back to Israel. So those are just a few of the arguments, but Israel belongs to God. Here is a question from Hindle. Hindle, God bless you. I love you so much and miss talking to you. I'm praying that you are doing well. Uh, you get prayed for regularly. Um, Hindle says in Romans 9, from verses 13 through 24, it says that God makes vessels or people for destruction. Do these people not have free will? Uh, Hindle, everybody has free will. With, without free will, uh, God's love means absolutely nothing. If God chose a certain amount of people and said, okay, you have to love me, you have no choice, that would not be loving. If God chose some people and said, you have no choice, you're going to hell because I've decided to make you uh, vessels for destruction, they would not have free will. But God makes his choices based on what he knows. Now, I'm not going to read the entire passage of Romans 9 that she referred to, but, but look at this very closely here. Um, Verse 13 says, Just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. And to, to deprive somebody of free will would not be justice. Now, why did God love Jacob? He loved Jacob because he knew that Jacob was going to obey him. It took a while. Jacob wasn't any better than Esau. But God knew that Jacob would be one through whom the covenant promises could be passed. He also knew that Esau was going to sell him for a bowl of stew, sell his birthright. So the reason that he hated Esau, and it's not like I hate God is love, we know that. But, you know, he wanted to love Jacob and he wanted to love Esau, but Esau would not be a vessel that would receive the love of God. And anytime we start thinking God is unjust, and again, to deprive anybody of free will uh, is unjust, um, he says no. And then he says this to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And the basis for that choice is simply God's foreknowledge. He will have mercy on those that he knows will respond, and he will have compassion on those he knows will respond and he is unable to be merciful and compassionate, even though being compassionate is his name. That's how he describes his own character in the Old Testament. He cannot pour out his compassion and mercy on people who will not receive it. So that's what it says. It's not uh, a matter of whether or not uh, he has compassion or whether or not, excuse me, it's the method by which he chooses people. This is the old thousands of years long discussion, debate about predestination. You know, our human brains, we think in a linear fashion. Well, if God chooses some for heaven, he must choose some for hell. Never, ever is God talk about election or predestination in any other context than regarding salvation. Very, very important. And so the the idea is God is simply making his choices based on what he knows is going to happen. Thank you, Hindle. We miss you. Jason, so that's I got Jason's question already. Here's an anonymous question. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because this is coming to us at exactly the right time. Pastor Ron, why is it the church has spent so much money on buildings instead of doing social justice type things with the money. Well, Anonymous, I'm laughing because we just signed a deal for our new building, got the keys to it uh, Sunday afternoon. 
and we're starting a reconstruction project on that new building. Um, but one of the reasons we have to spend so much money on it is because building land and construction is unbelievably expensive. If you know any billionaires out there, we could sure use your help. But um, you have to have a building to house a lot of people. We've been breaking the walls down in our facility for years and years and years. Uh, Content, but understanding this is getting to be problematic. We don't have enough room for kids in the kids' churches. We don't have enough room for adults in the adult services. And we're already doing three. I'm too old to do four services, so I can't do it. Um, So we had to spend the money. We had to make a choice to do it. Now, we also spend a lot of money, Anonymous, on things to support our community. We have a free family practice doctor's office. I think that's a social justice type thing. We're helping people that can't afford to go to doctors. And we're giving them not only a doctor to go to, but wonderful, wonderful loving care. Um, We have a free school. Uh, 24 years of a free school. And um, families that cannot afford... Um, a, a quality Christian private education. It's very expensive. Um, they can sign their kids up and come here. One of the reasons we need a new building is because we have a big waiting list of families that want to put their kids in our free school. We just don't have any more room, and we'll be able to take care of that. I also think it is um, a little bit unfair. Um, you know, if I was to build a building in um, Los Angeles or Orange County, California, it would cost so much more. So nobody needs to be ostentatious. Uh, we don't need to build extravagant things, but we need to be able to put people. And uh, the social justice type things, you would be surprised at the outreach of these huge churches Uh, the good things, the wonderful things they're doing at the direction of the Lord. So um, be a little bit judgy there, I think, in your question, Anonymous. Thank you for sending it in. Here is a question, this one from called in from Calvin in San Antonio. Does the Bible mention anything about any of the archangels being protectors of the Jewish people. Yeah, it does. Uh, Daniel um, chapters 9 and 10, um, uh, Michael is Israel's prince or Israel's protector. And it seems, Calvin, that his specific calling is as Israel's angel. Um, Whenever you see Satan, Michael is going to be there. In Daniel chapter 10, uh, Daniel gets this vision and he's, he's... earnestly crying out for the meaning of the vision. And when the angel shows up, and this this isn't Michael who shows up, uh, but when the angel show up, shows up, he says, Daniel, the moment you prayed, your, the answer was sent, but it was held up in the in the spiritual realm. It was held up in the heavenlies. And, and Michael, Israel's prince, had to come and fight to get the answer through. So this angel, maybe when he showed up with the answer to Daniel's prayer, he looked like he was beaten and bloody, but Michael was sent by God to rescue him. So yes, Michael uh, is the archangel, uh, um, the, the, the good counterpart to Lucifer, who, of course, we know as Satan. So Satan and Michael are equals, not Satan and Jesus. Satan and Michael are equals. And of course, because Michael is fighting for God and for Israel, uh, he always prevails. Um, Not without difficulty, but he always prevails over the attack of the enemies. Now, the archangels, um, Calvin, um, really, Michael's the only one that we know is an archangel. And as I said, Lucifer once was. Um, but but I, I also believe that, that Gabriel is an archangel. Uh, he has a particular ministry. He seems to be the herald of Jesus Christ. He has a great, great job. Um, but, but we have no other angels specifically referred to as archangels in Scripture. Now, church traditions um, name them and give them names, and that's just stuff that we don't know anything at all about. 
Uh, it's just nothing more than than human effort uh, to try to come up with those. So there are seraphim, there are cherubim, uh, there are cherubs. Um, so there's all kinds of different classes, categories, and power levels of angels. Uh, but but only Michael is identified as an archangel. And if anybody's interested, uh, our sports teams here at Calvary Chapel Christian Academy, uh, we are the archangels. So that's what we are. Good question, Calvin. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from another anonymous. I keep asking God for the things I need, but he doesn't answer. If God loves me, why won't he answer me? Anonymous, I, I'm i betting God is answering you. He's just probably saying no. And uh, what you've got to do is have enough faith to understand that that if you are asking God for things that he knows aren't going to be good for you, things that are not consistent with his will for your life, um, you've got to trust him and say, thank you, God, for those prayers that are not answered. Every prayer gets answered. Every prayer. The answer is yes, no, or not now. And not now usually means wait, and we hate that. So here's the thing. James says, the Spirit of God moving the pen of James, you have not because you ask not. That's not your problem because you keep asking. Um, or you ask amiss. Another translation says, or you ask with the wrong motives. So Anonymous, I'm banking on that being your problem. You want what you want without regard for what God wants for you. And you probably haven't been saying at the end of those prayers, nevertheless, thy will, O God, not my will be done. Again, it's perfectly okay to ask God for things. But why do you want them? Do you want them to honor God? Or do you want them because there are things that you want? Because of the church culture that we live in, there's so much horrible, horrible teaching out there. We treat God like he's a concierge. You know, go get me what I want. Give me this and get me that. Bless me with this and bless me with that. And God says, wait a minute. How about you walk with me? How about you deny yourself and pick up your cross daily and follow me? How about you seek my will for your life instead of insisting on your will for your life? God loves you, and sometimes he loves you so much that he has to say no. And this is an opportunity for you, Anonymous, to really examine your heart. Paul says to examine yourselves daily to see whether or not you're in the faith. And I'm betting that you're asking only for the things that you want, temporal things, not heavenly things. If you want to get prayers answered in a positive vein, the psalmist David writes, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The problem is we think that means we can ask for all this stuff. God says, no, no, if you delight yourself in me, I'm going to put the desires from my heart in your heart and that will change your prayers. And that's the way to get your prayers answered. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Here is another anonymous. I pray about stuff, but God never does anything. What am I doing wrong? Well, it's kind of the same question I just had from the other anonymous. Um, You know, when people say um, God never does anything, are you listening? Are you listening to what God is going to say to you? You know, I have people tell me all the time, well, I'm praying about that. And I'll stop and say, what has he said? And the thing is that we ask for stuff. And we don't stop talking, and we don't wait long enough to listen. We don't really expect an answer. Um, you, you remember that Elisha had a, an instance where uh, something was happening that he didn't know anything about, and he was surprised, in fact, shocked that God didn't let him know what was going on. Well, I want to live our lives, my lives. I want you to live your life in that way, Lord. I believe with all of my heart that if I really need to know something, you're going to tell me what it is. And I just don't think that we wait. You know, if somebody offers us a job, should I leave, Lord? And we just say, Lord, open the door, close the door. That's not the way God works. The Spirit of God lives in us, the Spirit of wisdom. Jesus even called him the counselor. So all we have to do is say, Lord, should I take this job? 
and stay where you are until he gives you clarity on that answer. We had a, a young woman, a beautiful young woman in our church who's been so faithful for so many years. And she had a medical issue and she was asking the Lord for prayer. I said, don't do anything until you, uh, or, or asking God for, for wisdom. Don't do anything until you're sure. What it is God wants you to do? You don't, we don't need to be pressured into making a decision. So we need to listen. So uh, other than that, anonymous, all the, the stuff I said to the anonymous question just before applies to you. Check your heart and check your motives. Here is a question we got. Scott from Von Army. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. How are you, Scott? Good to hear from you. I, I'm doing well. Uh, this goes along with uh, the question there about the, the prayer. Um, and hopefully, um, okay, in Jesus' name, you hear that all the time, and so many people just think they tack Jesus' name on the end of their prayer, and it's, a, it's like a guarantee. But I'm, I'm thinking and I'm feeling, and the study I've been doing, it's more, it's like a representative when they when they go in the name of a, of a leader or something. So you're going in Christ. I mean, it's, it's, it's I am in you, you are in me, and ask of the Father shall be done. I think it's mentioned somewhere. But the in Jesus' name doesn't mean just tacking his name on the end of the prayer. It's actually in him or part of him. If you could kind of, I don't know where I'm going with that. but Yeah, I do. You understand? I, okay. I do, Maybe Scott. That, give me that's the a, language to explain that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And, and I think something we misunderstand, you know, Jesus said, to his disciples as he was preparing to leave them. He said, um, up until now you've asked nothing in my name, but now as I go to the Father, ask anything in my name and I will do it or you will receive what you've asked for. That's what we Christians have done, Scott, is we've turned the phrase in Jesus' name to, to like a lucky rabbit's foot. You know, it, it just becomes some little mystical thing. And it's like, God, God, give me a new car. Give me a new house. Give me a new husband. Give me a new wife in Jesus' name. Uh, and the reality is that means nothing. Jesus' name represents who he is and what he stands for. And so if we're not walking in the will of God, if we have uh, obedient uh, or disobedience in our life, uh, we can't ask him anything because our fellowship is cut off. So what Jesus is saying, if you ask in my name, the presumption is that you're walking in the will of God and for the glory of God. And you want what he wants more than what you want in your heart. And and sadly, Scott, we have turned in Jesus' name into a formula. Well, I, I, I said in Jesus' name, why aren't I getting my prayers answered? That's not what in Jesus' name means. So no formulas for prayer. You know, Jesus said, don't do these repetitious prayers. I would say, don't commit superstitious prayers. Um, you you should, before you open your mouth in prayer, you should have been before the Lord uh, in confession of sins, in repentance. You should have been um, really, really heartbroken that you broke the heart of God with your sin. Asking for forgiveness, First John 1, 9, promises that you'll have it. And that's when we then can ask the Lord in prayer for the things that we think we need. But we've got to be able to say again, I repeat, thy will, not my will be done. That's the prayer that is really in the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul didn't insist on getting his will. Jesus, of course, didn't get his will. Three times he cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane for this cup to pass. Three times the Father said no. You might remember Jesus never got an answer when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We've got to be those men and women who also approach the Lord simply by saying, Okay, Lord, what I really want is your will. I I was sharing with Paul and, you know, with this whole building thing and, and, you know, it's going to cost so much money. We don't have any money. And I was sharing with her. I said, you know, there's so many things, you know, Lord. I, and, and Paula, because we pray together, but she knows that what I want more than anything else is God's will, not my will. 
And and I, I was confessing to her, I said, you know, Paul, there's so many times when I'm saying, Lord, thy will, I want your will to be done. But I sure want your will to be my will. I think we can be honest with the Lord like that. He knows all of that stuff. And then we realize that whatever he's done, whatever his will really is, is really the thing in retrospect that we wanted all along. And so that's what God wants to wants to do. So, Scott, that's a good question, not a difficult question at all. I think we're about out of time. I have time for, here's one I can do quickly, from Maurice. I reject the church as an institution. Some people tell me I'm rejecting Christ. I don't agree. Um, those people are right. Jesus dwells among his people. He's instructed you uh, to be among his people, to serve, to be active in the church. Um, there's no Lone Ranger Christians who are walking in the power of the Spirit. So, Maurice, um, it doesn't matter what you think. The only thing that matters is being obedient. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And again, this is one of those things saying, well, Jesus, I love you, but your wife is ugly. We're the bride of Christ. And I don't think that would be pleasing to him at all. So, uh, I would plead with you, Maurice, to re-examine your heart. Hey, the show went really fast today. Thank you for your calls and questions. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. God bless you, Lord willing. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.